With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. Um, you, you, when you, when you have my job, my job's been kind of sweet. You know, you, you, I've tried to do a really good job of having perspective. And what happens this time of year, and there'll be lots of people who are listening to this pod who are in my profession in broadcasting or in, you know, in, in radio or in television, but in basketball, we all do this thing. We get our schedules and then we complain about it, right? We get our schedules like, I didn't have enough games. Ugh, that look at, I wonder what games that guy got. You know, there are some places in which the best analysts get to pick their games. And so you're just kind of at their mercy and they're going to wait and see. And you just, you get, but you lose perspective on like, Hey, um, this is 2021, 2022. I've actually done this for, I, my first games I called were 21 years ago. Right. That's crazy. And uh, my first, you know, slate of like, Eight games was 2002, 2003. So that's like 19 years of doing a, a full slate of them. I'll be doing games on a stadium, which is a digital and online. And occasionally it's uh, over the air at some of those uh, uh, Bally's sports stations. And I'll also be doing them for Fox. And I'll do radio games for Compass and radio games for Westwood One. And if anybody else wants me to do games, they'll send me some stuff and I'll do games for them too. And it's, and I'm starting to put together a schedule and it's, I'm really, really excited, really excited just because, you know, I've, I've done the final four. I've done the NCAA tournament. Those are the best. Do, do, I'm not even being secretive. I wish I was still doing them. I, I, I don't currently do them. I don't know what the future holds if I'll ever do them again, but it was the best. The people to work with are the best. The games are the best. The focus on are the best. I just, it's amazing. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to sit there. Like I've gotten to the point where now I'm, Still happy just doing games, you know, going out and seeing people. 
I mean, I'm looking at my schedule in November and, uh, you know, I have Oral Roberts in Colorado State. I have uh, Nevada and San Francisco. I have UCLA and UNLV. I have St. Louis and Boise. Th- those are those are just like the first four that I have. So I'll get to see UCLA, who's ranked number two in the country. I'll get to see UNLV and, uh, and uh, you know, Kevin Kruger get a chance to coach against the top 10 team. Get to see Oral Roberts, Paul Mills, and what their team did last year in the NCAA tournament against Colorado State, the favorite to win the Mountain West tournament. Nevada and Grant Shearfield is a tremendous point guard transfer from Wichita State. And, uh, you know, I get to see St. Louis and Boise and San Francisco. I mean, it's going to be, that's just the first eight teams that I'll see. So I do think I have some perspective. Um, my guest this week is Sydney Johnson. Now, Sydney, um, in covering Fairfield, in covering Princeton when he coached there, he played with friends of mine, was a great player at Princeton. But more than anything, like the great thing about going and doing games is the people that you meet and the perspectives that you get. And you just, you meet interesting people. Like that's kind of what life's about, right? The places you go, the people you meet, the foods you eat, I, I had this, I had this great dinner in finish the, finish the sentence. Sidney Johnson's a good friend of mine. Um, he's a wonderful man, super educated guy, not just because he went to Princeton, but like dad was a professor. And I thought we'd catch up and talk about, among other things, what it's like to be fired at Fairfield, a job that he left his alma mater Princeton for. So there's some things he said in here that he hasn't articulated publicly before some things I've said in here that I haven't articulated publicly before. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Sidney Johnson, my guest this week on All Ball. So let's start in high school, okay? Because I remember, there's a couple of things I remember about before you went to Princeton, okay? I think, did you grow up in Minnesota and then move to Baltimore at the end of high school? Was it back and forth? Like, remind me of, the where you were living when you were a high school basketball player. Yeah, it was it was back and forth. So we were in Towson, Maryland. My dad was teaching at Towson State. That's what it was called back then. And so uh, mm-hmm. Kirk Lee, Chuck Lightning, those guys, uh, Scott Truex um, or Terry Truex. Scott was his son. So we were there and uh, in, uh, in, in I, I went there ninth grade. I was in Towson and then he took a job in Minnesota for a couple of years. And then we came back. You know, the Minnesota winners were too much. So we came back. I did my senior year at Towson Catholic. What, what did your dad teach? History. History, a little bit of languages, too. Um, but African-American history. And uh, our, our house was full of books, Doug. It was crazy. I mean, just books everywhere. You know, it's, it's interesting. When I was um, I was son who's 12, and last year, he was, you know, he's, not he doesn't he doesn't enjoy reading just doesn't enjoy okay. it you know he likes learning yeah. loves learning yeah doesn't like reading right and um my dad got me to read by um he would give me a like leon uris book uh the boys from brazil was like my first like real novel i was hardcore <laughs> uh but he would he would ba- he would balance it between like a novel and a sports book. Like I remember reading about the last year of the Boston Celtics with Larry Bird and Robert right. Parrish and the late Dennis Johnson. Right. And then I had a, I think Catfish Hunter's autobiography was the first sports book 
I read. How did your, did you just naturally enjoy reading? When you got all these books around your house, your parents obviously have expectations of it. How did, how did you get to be a reader? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm the, uh, the youngest of three. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just absorbed it. I kind of watched my older brothers, my dad, like my middle brother, Stephen, who, you know, in fact, every other time I talk to my brother, he's telling me something about your brother. So I didn't really know Greg. So I didn't know, I didn't know how close they are. Maybe you didn't know that, but um, so Stephen, um, Stephen did the same as you. He, he kind of like, he, he took to reading through like basketball books and biographies. Me, I, I could read it all. You know, I wasn't like uh, Einstein or anything, but I was just interested. I would grab some of my dad's books, some of my brother's books, and it just kind of, you know, seeped in. Um, were, were you, when you're the youngest brother, you're usually the toughest, right? Because they, they pick on you, they beat up on you. I think you're usually the more, usually the most advanced. Um, but it's an interesting dynamic. What was the dynamic like uh, with, 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 the, with the kids in your family? Yeah. So I, I think you're on to something. I mean, I, it was, you know, my dad didn't spoil. My dad raised me. My, my mom and dad divorced early. So my dad raised me and the boys or my two brothers. And he didn't spoil me. And neither did my brothers. So they, you know, they. They kind of beat up on me, but they loved me, too, and, and, and protected me against anybody else. You know, um, I, I think the dynamic for me, um, I tell people this all the time. For better or worse, I watched them a lot and I learned from what they did well and I learned from some of their mistakes. And so it really kind of helped me navigate, you know, uh, don't take on too much, you know, um, you can be brave here. You can, you need to sit back in the cut here. Those types of things I learned from watching my brothers and uh, it really benefited me, you know, and, and also just like how they tried to solve things, um, whether it was, you know, sometimes you had to pick the fight. Sometimes you had to talk your way through it. Sometimes you had to smooth things out. Those types of things I, I learned from them as much as anything. So um, what's that like for you in terms of, friendships and relationships where you're where you you go between baltimore minnesota back to baltimore what, what was that like for you well there was even a lot more movement than that doug i mean we lived in florida my, my dad is just kind of a rolling stone great father but just like never really sat tight so minnesota maryland uh, florida pennsylvania lagos nigeria for two years um really it was just like all over and so you learn you learn how to adapt quickly. You learn that there's a lot of different ways to do things. Um, that's the biggest thing that I learned is like, you know, it's not just one way, you know, and you also learn that people look a lot different and talk a lot different, but can hold on to the same core values. And um, those types of things open your world. And, and that's what I've passed along to my kids. And I, I know I've tried to pass that along to my players and really encourage them to get outside of their comfort zone and, and travel and go places. Um, all of that is mixed into what uh, my dad exposed to me and my brothers. And, and I know he did it intentionally. You know, he's, he's kind of, uh, like I said, a Rolling Stone and, and uh, at a very early age. Well, and he was at IU. He played ball in the, uh, in the Big Ten. And uh, at some point he left school early and he went over to France 
and finished his education there and then played in Spain. So, you know, he's tried to pass a lot of that stuff along to us. And it's, uh, it's certainly taken with me and my brothers. Yeah, he's like a movie. Yeah. He's yeah. Like no, big time. He's, he's writing a book. He's writing a book based uh, very much on his own life. And it's like, Doug, it's like 400 pages and it's, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm a James Baldwin guy and uh, some of the, some of the other greats. And uh, it reminds me of some of the, the novels that Baldwin has written because he's also old school. So there's a lot there's race and identity and world traveling. And uh, yeah, somebody ought to pick it up. Um, OK, so. But you were going to go to BU, right? And then. Yeah. Why, why did you how, how did it happen where you flipped the print? Yeah, I haven't shared this with a ton of people and, and those guys, Coach Brown is the head coach then, and they they were <laughs> they were very gracious, but you know, stung a little bit. Um I I uh was definitely going to BU. And as I progressed into my senior year at Towson Catholic, it wasn't about like getting bigger offers or anything like that. I just didn't think that I was ready, like I was playing well, but I wanted to get stronger. And then Steven, my brother's couple years older, he went to prep school and just got stronger and more ready. So I either wanted to prep or redshirt. And uh, I prefer, I actually preferred to redshirt. Like I wanted to go to BU and redshirt. And that wasn't really taking with the staff. And I had, I had expressed that to them after having committed. Um, so that wasn't really taking. And it just kind of you know, they were seeing things one way, I was seeing another way. So at the last minute, I was able to go to Fork Union, Fletcher Eric, may he rest in peace, one of the greatest people in my, my in my life. Uh, somehow, some way he took a chance to take me late in the process. And uh, and then that spawned uh, a whole nother year of development and recruiting. And uh, I, I wound up at Princeton. Where Where is Fork Union? It's uh, in Fork Union, Virginia, in the middle of nowhere. The closest would be Charlottesville is roughly uh, roughly an hour, uh, maybe Richmond somewhere in the area. But I mean, it's literally in the woods and we didn't get off campus, but for playing games. And, and it, it was it, uh, it's a military academy, right? Military academy uh, up at five in the morning, wax your floor, room check at six. You know, breakfast six thirty, and you're on your way, marching in fatigues, saluting. Um, I mean, it was it was real, but that stuff was miserable. The basketball was out of this world, and the discipline and the education. Um, it was it was wonderful. It's a great experience for me that I would never have signed up for, if not for uh, you know the situation, my recruiting situation. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. That, that was like the golden era of Princeton basketball, right? It was because because they didn't actually beat Georgetown, but that kind of solidified like what was happening at Princeton. It was like a change in, in, in basketball. What's your yeah, first yeah. memories of arriving on campus? First memory, um, took an official visit really late. They were actually setting up for reunions, which is a huge deal at Princeton, like absolutely huge. But the campus looks kind of funky. They have all these tents set up. Uh, there's a decent amount of uh, beverage consumption and parties and things that they're getting prepared for. And uh, the campus, it doesn't quite, quite look as beautiful as it normally does. But I loved it. I was like, I was like, man, this this is really nice. Chris Mooney, head coach at Richmond. He uh, he hosted me on the, on the visit. Um, he was writing uh, his junior paper. He was put submitting that. It's like a 30-page paper you got to turn in junior year. My, my entire official visit was like going to meals with him and the coaches staff and then watching Chris Mooney type up his junior paper. <laughs> um, and, and somehow I was sold on, on playing for the Tigers. And then I walked in the gym the first day for just like open run, you know, you know like every, now every day. Now these days, you know, everybody's like ready to go. We had like a month and a half of just hooping, just pick up before we could start official practice. And Doug, there's like, there's like 30 guys in the gym, you know, it was like, like guys from returning guys, but then also like all kinds of freshmen and, you know, like came in with a class of like 10 or 11 dudes. And I'm like, what, what's going on? And uh, just had to kind of work my way through trying to find a spot on the team. And, uh, and somehow it worked out. When, when you're playing pickup at Princeton, are guys just hooping or are they running cuts? Like it, it's always, it's always been the, the, my, my issue with Princeton style teams is while it develops all the different yeah. attributes of what you need to be a great basketball player, there are times in which guys struggle to function kind of in freelance. And so I'm just wondering like what, what that was like in terms of the, just the pickup ball. 
Yeah, I want to talk more about that um, uh, with you about that because I, I, I agree with uh, and I'm really motivated by that type of delivering the game these days because I think everything's going towards positionless basketball, obviously, but more decision-making that I think we need to allow our players to have when we're, quote, training them. I don't think that's going on enough. But uh, at Princeton, yeah, we were, we, were, we were hooping the way you hoop at Princeton, which is backdoor cuts, lots of threes, dribble handoffs. Um, there was, there, there's transition. I mean, you're going, there's advantage play and all that fast break. Um, but if somebody doesn't have anything, it's quickly into, you know, five out and cutting back door and not a lot of ball screens, at least at that time. So it was a, it, you, you had to get kind of uh, indoctrinated into how that was, uh, how, how they function there. And, um, and if you didn't, you, you kind of, you know, you didn't find your way on the court. Or you, you wouldn't win because you'd be playing iso ball and four other guys, especially upperclassmen, be looking at you like, what are you, what are you doing? You know? And so you, you well, quickly I mean, like, like, like on some level, it's like you need a balance of the two, right? Because you go, to, you go to a college gym now a lot of times and it's just like five out, somebody comes and sets a ball screen, and then yeah. you shoot, and then you get back on defense, and it's terrible. So right. it, there is, a, there is a, a, a balance of the two. Um, I'm guessing, just guessing. So I remember my first month at Notre Dame practicing, and I was terrible. And I was terrible because I just, I never really been, you think you, I played a good high school program, played yeah. a high level AAU program. Like yep. You think you've done all these things in, in the sport and you really haven't. Um, like I thought I'd run a motion offense. Now, like you got six, 10, seven footers screening you and you feel like your lung gets detached. Right. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't guard anybody. I couldn't, I'm wondering what, what's that experience? Like you're a highly touted guy. You go to preps, you're not young. Your body's more mature than a traditional freshman. What, what, what are those practices like in, in your freshman year? So you, you, you hit on it, Doug, is I, I wasn't a true freshman. That, that year was huge for me. I played at Fork Union. We lost maybe two games. One of them was against MCI, which was a big-time prep program at the time. Um, so I played with Harold Dean, who went to Virginia. Merle Code, who went to Clemson. Um, Rick Edwards went to Richmond. Chris Williams uh, was at Texas A&M for a bit. Um, you know, we, we, we had a really good team. So when I went to Princeton, I wasn't the best player on the floor, but I wasn't like, without knowing it, I was just like hooping and like, I, I wasn't shook or, or, you know, th there were guys at Princeton who weren't better than clearly weren't better than the guys I played with last year or again, by the way, by the way, I, Harold Dean was like one of my heroes. That guy yeah. had the best, the, he had the, the strongest arms. I remember like, I, I, I just, I, I remember cause I almost went to Virginia and I forgot who the point guard was before him, but I think, I, I want to say somebody got hurt. So he got to play like as a freshman. I just remember watching yes. Dean was like, huh? Yes. He played it. Yeah. I can't remember either, but he played like as a freshman, like right yeah. away. And I was like, who is that dude? That's yeah. I like that guy. Right. And that was, I had this between the campus. Uh, I, I had this infatuation with the campus and the history of the campus. And 
all that stuff. And so like my, my list, I remember my, uh, after my junior year was like Florida, Virginia, and then like mid majors or whatever. And (laughs) here I'm in Southern California. People are like, what do you like about Virginia? I was like, Harold Dean. I like Harold Dean. I want to play like that dude. He's a bad boy. He was the best player in the gym. Literally every day we played every day. He was like the best player. And some of us would give him a little bit of run, a little, but there wasn't a day he walked out of the gym where he was, he didn't play the best. And so, so that just helped me at Princeton where, yes, you have Chris Mooney, you have Mike Brennan. Those were my two senior year captains. So Mike obviously head coach at American, they're running stuff and all that, but they're not, they're not doing chin-ups on the rim. You know, they're not yeah, yeah. Uh, stripping you. And all. that's the stuff that was going on with Merle Code and, and Harold Dean and those guys. And so I just felt like, you know, I could, I could fit in. Um, what was Kirill like to you? He was scary. He, he was, he was scary. He was scary. And it, it's not fair because that's the first thing that came to mind as a freshman, but that's true. And then I realized he was brilliant. So it was first the fear of just, you know, he is a commanding presence you know whose gym it is. You know whose team. You know when you make a mistake, um, ad nauseum. Like he, you know, he he's going to be in you and in everybody, and it's going to be done a certain way. And and then you get over that because my dad, you know, strict with us. You get over the delivery, and you understand why, and the purpose. And oh, by the way, this is helping me, and I'm getting better in ways that I and 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 he's also challenging me like in, in ways that are like real or, or, or they're accurate. You know what I mean? I didn't have a left hand. So like, there's nothing like, so when he tells you about it every day, he ain't lying, you know? And so you either face that or you run from it. And my family, we faced it. So then I had a coach that I was going to face it. So after the fear, it was the brilliance and literally just opened up the game for me, how to see more, how to be a winner, thinking you came from a good program. I came from a good program, both high school and, and prep school. I know what winning's about. And he took it to another level. You know, so these things, these lessons and how to see the game just made me tougher and wiser and uh, just just changed my life from a basketball perspective. Um, it, it, it is interesting, the fear thing, because we all are scared. of That was what was kind of missing with John McLeod at Notre Dame. He was a great man, mm. classy. Mm. Um, you know, he had his own idiosyncrasies and he wanted to treat all of us as men. He wouldn't call you out in front of the rest of the team. It was a very okay. kind of professional thing. Like you get back from a game and there'd be a flashing red light in your phone and you'd have an appointment to come see him the next day. And then we close the door. Now he'd give yeah. you the business, but not okay. in front of everybody else. Eddie Sutton, like, that was the opposite. Like it's, you know, and I, and part of it is how I was coached by my dad, how I was coached by right. Andy Graham, my high school coach. But also I just think young men at that age, kind of think you need it. Um, yeah. But I also know that, that, and, and this gets to your most recent experience, times have kind of changed. I think, oh, yeah. I think part of it is we young people have always pushed back against, right. you know, authority. 
it's just now, I think the noise is louder because of social media, because you have people, I think, in the media who kind of help amplify it a little bit. But I guess the question is, can you still establish that level of respect bordering on fear in 2021 and beyond? Or, is, or, or are those days simply gone? Long gone, long gone. There's, there's, there's no way. You can, you can establish the respect, the trust, and, and you can get on guys uh, when they trust and respect that you care about them, okay? And this is not to take away from, from Coach Carrill or any other old school approach, but that wasn't baked into that equation. It was like you're coming to play and to graduate and to get better so here, here's what it is. You know what I mean? They didn't have to necessarily improve. They didn't have to hug you. They didn't have to love you up. It was like, th- this is what the relationship is at that time and in those times. And now um, you have to, you know, everyone talks about culture. You know why that has come up so much and it's, it's borderline nauseating is because you have to have this investment of like proving to people what you're about. And that really wasn't in the dynamic of sports, say when you and I were playing and certainly in my, my father's time, you know, where you had to, as a coach, I mean, prove what you're about. You just, I'm the coach, you're the player, let's get it on. Yes. And now it's no, here's what my culture is about and why you want to get, you know, why you want to get it on, why you want to develop here with me, that's this whole culture thing. And I'm, I'm not, I don't have an issue with it, but I, I don't know if people understand that that's why we're where we are now and why every coach now talks about culture. Yeah, it's definitely a buzzword. And, and um, I always thought the culture was really the players. It's the, it's the, it's the people you bring in, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and if you, if you bring in the right kids, you got, you're not going to have any problems this week, you know, and, and, and guys can, guys will weed them out. You know, it's one of the things that everybody does on visits. I, I just, I also find the visits have changed now. They're not as it's, it's not just, Hey, go take, take this guy for the weekend. Then you can come back and report back. Like now they have to take pictures in the uniform and there's all this right. like, tweet stuff out. And then there's, yeah. there's all this like celebration of it. And it's, it's over the top. Whereas I like, I can remember at Oklahoma state that we would come, we would, we were like the, the Coliseum with the gladiators with thumb up or thumb down. And we said, Hey, that guy, he ain't one of, he ain't us coach. Right. Like, right. That no, was it. Real. That, that, real. that was it. And, um, um, you, you know, I, I, I think that I, but I think it's, it's, I, I know it's, I know coaches can establish culture and can do a good job. And there are certain guys that do an amazing job, but I think a lot of it comes down to the, the kids they bring in. And, I mean, like I, you go see a Villanova practice and you're like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. incredible. They're yeah. literally like, I, I don't, I, that's amazing. Like they're all, and, but it's, it's been built up over time. Part of it's they consistency. Have. I think that's probably the hardest thing in basketball now is there's just no consistency because guys transfer whenever. And I'm a, I'm a transfer, but like the amount of the volume of transfers is so crazy. But I, I let me and let me interject just there with, with Jay Wright, because he's obviously a Hall of Famer and he's done all these wonderful things. But there was a time at Villanova between his early success of like yep. Alan Ray and those guys 
And then the, the more recent success. Yeah, the number one recruiting class, right? And that, that, yeah. that team was terrible. People forget that, though, Doug. They forget that they were looking at Coach Wright sideways. And it's like, but he learned from that and his staff learned from that. And I'm, I'm not saying people shouldn't get fired, and but I'm just saying that consistency also comes with some consistency in terms of the people behind the scenes who are saying, let, let them ride it out and see where this goes. And he set a certain bar. They came down a bit. And he corrected that and got program kids. And now there's like, you know, no looking back. Okay. Jesus, you know, so, okay. Our kind of guys. Right. And they, it's really, yeah. and, and, and I, we actually, I've actually tracked this. Um, like Oklahoma state, same thing happened. You go to the 04 final four. And then they had the number one recruiting class in the country. And then, you know, some of those guys don't show up. Some of those guys yeah. are overrated. You know, you, it just, it, it ends up hurting your program. Happened to Georgia Tech when they went to same year they went to the national championship game, right? And and they were never the same because you can now you can recruit above your normal level, but they're not right. your kind of guys. They don't fit your program and how right. you've always you've always rolled. Um, where were you when you got the Fairfield job? I was. Uh, you mean literally where was yeah. I was? Or take me through the the, the 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 Fairfield job when it came yeah, open. Yeah. So I was at the final four. So I, um, Princeton was, was wonderful to me, you know, and, and, uh, and still is to this day. I mean, I have friends there and all that stuff. And yet I have no regrets. I, I took the Fairfield job because I wasn't sure, uh, frankly, what the commitment was going to be at Princeton. And Doug, I just, I, I got to get this off my chest. I didn't want to be at my alma mater and not know that we weren't committed to being successful. Like, like every loss that we had was like, like painful for me. You know what I mean? I felt like the weight of not wanting to let my teammates down, let alone my team and my staff. I'm talking about like my teammates that I played with, yeah. like people who helped me get to Princeton, professors. Like, so when we lost, it was like, it was borderline like depression. You know, I was like struggling. And then when we would win, it would just be relief. It wouldn't be the opposite of it would depression. Be it would just be like, okay, I can exhale for today. So, you know, that you can ask my wife, like, I really, it was a wonderful experience for me. I wasn't sure what the commitment was like. There were changes in the league. Cornell goes to the Sweet 16. Tommy Amberker's coming in. You know, there's all, and I'm like, what? Well, they, they also, Harvard also changed. You know, now you're getting to the nitty gritty. (laughs) That's okay. That's that's what we can, that's what we can do here is we can get get to the nitty gritty. So, so I was like, what are we about? And I'll just say, I wasn't, I wasn't blown away with what I was hearing back when I was like, but the, but the part about putting the pressure, it's, it's a really interesting, it's, it's an interesting thing. So, you know, I got a chance to interview for my alma mater uh, and I remember coming home and um, or I, I remember talking to my wife at the time and I, and she's like, you, you don't want that. You, you yeah. don't want that. Interesting. And I said, I said, what are you talking about? It's all I've ever wanted is to walk on that <laughs> sideline. Like yeah, yeah. literally like the, the, the crushing thing about playing at Oklahoma state for me. Uh-huh. And I don't, I've never told anybody this was 
I used to sit there and go like, I know I can be on that sideline, but I know it's Sean's job. And so, my, right. you know, I would have to sit and be his assistant. And then if he ever left, like that was, right. that was the mentality. So it wasn't really a, I, I didn't allow it to become kind of a, a realistic thought, right? Like gotcha. I ain't getting that job. If you want to get right. the coach. And, and that honestly was one of the things that pushed me away from coaching. And then Sean got the job by the time, like I was kind of on the outside of the family. Cause I, I, I said, I didn't think coach should be able to yeah. keep the job because he had a DUI. I thought it was the, right. th I thought it was the honest thing to say and it didn't go over well, not yeah. with coach, but with other people. But the point was, I, I know what you're talking about because her, her thing was like, look, if it goes bad, you can't go home. Like that's your, yeah, that's your basketball that, home. You can't go that, home again. That's and um, that's it, everything becomes super awkward. I was like, yeah, it's also super awkward if you don't get the job. Right? <laughs> so whatever, there's all different levels of, of awkward. So you felt that you felt that. And because that's the other thing is like we I when we lost in the Elite Eight my last game, when, you know, like I remember not feeling bad for myself, but feeling I let coach down. I felt I let all of us down. Right. And when I've been successful, it's it's helped all of us. When our program is successful now, we take great joy in it because you don't want to turn on your TV and your teams in last place or whatever. Um, so I get that. So you you did that was that that was part of the equation in leaving your alma mater for Fairfield. Yes, level of commitment and you know I mean like look that's the reality to it at the time and I, you, you can I know covering it may be more difficult for you. I actually I don't know if you know this. So Harvard won their first NCAA tournament game when Tommy was there, right? They beat New Mexico. Yeah. And late in the game, it was obvious they were going to win. Mm -hmm. And so I started talking about the, um, uh, what's the term uh, for your recruiting class in terms of your average number? It's the, the AI, idea. academic index. Academic index. Right. And so what I said was like, look, this is, this win is not just about Tommy. It's about the commitment of the university well and lowering the academic index just so they can be competitive with the rest of the league. Right. Well said. And I said, it's not like they're bringing in JUCOs, right? Right. It's, right. it's, you're just making it fair and opening up opportunities for people and, and look at how, how this team looks. Right. Right. So the next day in between game, the first day and the second day of the NCAA tournament, you get to meet one-on-one -on -one with the players first yeah, and sure. then with the coaches. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get a text in the morning like, hey, great job last night from one of the assistants at Harvard. Great uh -huh. job last night. Just so you know, TA is fucking pissed. And I was By like, the way, and you don't, don't name the name, but I know what assistant. Of course. <laughs> anybody listen to this knows who I'm talking about, right? So anyway, <laughs> so, so I'm like, what is he mad about? He's like, did, did you say that we dropped our – our academic index standards. I was like, yes. He's like, why? I go, because you turn on Harvard, you're like, how the fuck did Harvard get all these dudes there? Like, how do you think they got all those dudes there? Top 25 recruiting class. His no first shit. And, and by the way, like, and this, I said at the time, and I said again, like, it's the right thing to do, right. right? It's the greatest institution in our country. We should open our doors to all, you should open our doors to many more people than, than just the upper, upper, upper crust academically. We just and have why, the same level. Huh? And, and why, why when the basketball coach does it, it's an issue. Right. But when we want to do away with standardized tests because of certain biases and things of that nature and administrators want to do it, 
It's not an issue. Why, why, so, why is that? I mean, is, is it the is that a racial component? Is a basketball? I think component? there's a racial component to it for sure. I mean, but if they, know, but if you want to, if you want to drop, but that doesn't that goes counter to the if people want to if if administrators want to do it anyway, right? Well, and and well, and that that's kind of what I'm getting at is if you're an administrator and you're considering dropping standardized tests, you're 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 also considering the fact that maybe not everybody is having the same level of education to prepare them for those tests. And some of that is based on race. Some of that is based on socioeconomic level in terms of that access to. So if you can identify that, then it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to say, okay, now if there are athletes who don't have that same access to a great education to prepare them in a certain way, but they are brilliant and they can do the work because I'm not Tommy's agent now, but yeah. all of his kids graduated. No, I, I, and are, I, I, I am successful. Yeah. All right. So I, I have no issue with his guys. I was, I was trying to say, Hey, are we going to get our guys? That yeah. was my issue. I want to no, make no sure. Yeah, but that's, my that's what changed. That's what I, I never forget. I was like, well, that's what's changed in your league. Right. That's why, you know, right. Penn, Penn, Penn used to have the easiest academic standards in the league, and they had the best basketball players in the league, you know, during during that time. And Princeton was 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 right there. And like you guys split champ, like it's like 18 years where it's basically like the, those two programs. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I mean, you had the one year with Cornell, right? That was an incredible team that Steve built, right? Plus he came from Penn, right? There's some of the same stuff you there. Got it. You got and, it. You and, got it. And then Harvard's like, you know, like in order to get Tommy, you got to be reasonable, like, you know, because and there's no way he takes that job. Not unless he was t- unless he was told. I don't know if you know this story about T.A., but the story I was told was he was one time he almost took the Northwestern job. OK. And he brought two transcripts with him. And he laid them down on the table for them. Oh, this and is he nice. said. And he said, take a look at these transcripts. Like and they said, uh, this one's a no. This one's a this one's a wait list, maybe. And he said, congratulations. You just turned down Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. And and for that reason, I am out. Right. So, uh, I mean, by the way, just brilliant by him. Brilliant. Without a doubt. It makes me think that Harvard would have accepted Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, um, so I, I think it, it is fascinating, the academic index. And then, you know, my discussion with this. So they sent in a guy that I met the Harvard players. They were, as you said, they're, they're not only, like, it's just a different, they're just like brilliant yeah. and, yeah. you know, um, and just wonderful to be around. It's like one of those, like, God, I can't believe that was an hour and a half. It felt like five minutes with this kid. Right. So they right. send in this guy from the Ivy League and he's like, let me explain to you the, uh, the, the, what we've actually done with the academic index. And I said, listen, I, I, you know, I actually know that they, he's like, did you know we raised the academic index as a league? I was like, yeah, that's because all the coaches complained because Harvard was getting dudes in, right? And Harvard was doing the thing when they were bringing in guys with four sixes so that they get a kid with the three five, right? They knew exactly what they were doing. They were smart. They knew the system. They got good kids. They just balanced it out with the academic index, right? So that went over well, that, that, right. that conversation went well. Um, so that was what led you to take the Fairfield job because. It was, yeah, it was- I, I just, I wasn't, I didn't want to be at my alma mater, not 
and and not know that we would have a chance to 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 be competitive, Doug. And it just like it was going to rip my heart open. And by the way, beating Tommy's team because you could say individually they were better. Uh, We had a really good team. We had a really good collection with 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 Doug Davis and Pat Saunders and and Dan Mavrades and guys that aren't household names, but they're like they were wonderful. And so our t- I knew how hard it was to beat a, a, a good team of re- highly rated recruits. And I was like, yo, man, we're going to have to, like, keep bringing in dudes. And I, I just I wasn't sure it was going to happen. At Fairfield, Gene Doris was a phenomenal AD, like a friend to me to this day. And we just hit it off. And I was like, let, let me try to take this on. Um, Ed Cooley and I share the same agent. Ed was going out the door to Providence, leaving Fairfield. Um, I had a chance to go get on at Towson. Um, but I just, it was like another home situation. So I'd be, I would be going from college home to home home. And I was like, let me just mix this up and, and try Fairfield. And uh, in eight years, I, I have no regrets. You know, I just, uh, you know, we, we just got young at a time and, and you know, Everybody changing AD, changing president. And, you know, that's not the first time that's happened. Yeah. No, no one wants a new AD, a new president, a new arena, like all those yeah, things. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crazy, crazy expectations. Um, if you could change one thing, what would it be? Um, in, in my time at Fairfield, mm-hmm. I think it was I've, people have asked me this. We got young. Like I didn't redshirt um, things of that nature. We got young too many times. And so I took a hit. I took a really big hit in year three. And I took, you know, a a big hit in year eight or nine or whatever my last season was where we were young. And so, and we couldn't, we, you know, we weren't competitive. Now those guys, eventually they move on to be, you know, like my last team, Two, two or three of those guys were starters these last few years. I wasn't the coach. So we could always recruit. You know, every year I had all conference, literally every year I had an all conference kid or an all conference award. Every year I was at, at Fairfield. Recruited the number one player or number one scorer in school history, the number four scorer in school history, only win versus ACC team, blah, 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 blah. But when you get young and you take a hit and you have two down years, and they're spaced out by a few. It just it was just too much. And, you know, they, they made a change and, you know, God bless them. I moved on. What, what is that like, though, for you when you when you get fired? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's uh, even saying it. I mean, I think it's hard for guys. I got let go. I got no, you know, you got fired. My agent and he's he's big time. I love Dennis. Dennis Coleman. He said um, I haven't told anybody this. He said, uh, you know. Can you talk to them about, you know, maybe, you know, you, you stepping down or, you know, in, in the in the release, the press release? I said, Dennis, they're firing me. I, I mean, they can say whatever they want to say. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to try to play that game. And I and to this day, it's a huge thing. And it, oh, fired. I'm a, I'm a man up like they they wanted to make a change. I got fired. So even just that, that psychological thing and that thing in the business of getting fired. But once I did get fired, once I did do the kind of reflection 
we got too young. Um, there's a kid here or there that I had out of position, um, could have done this, could have done that. Some really positive reflection on me and learn from it. It's actually empowering and you can and move forward and you learn that there's some really, really good coaches who have also been fired. And so it's like, you know, Coach K and, and, and God bless him, you know, not everybody has a career like that. There are outstanding, you know, everyone, I saw your tweets on Monte Ellis and, and how good, of he, how well he connected with big boy DeAndre uh, Ayton uh, uh, in a timeout. And then your tweets and everybody else is talking about how great a job Coach but nobody remembers that coach got fired a few years before at Charlotte. And he, I'm sure he's learned from that. Jay Kidd, Hall of Famer, and is on his third job. He's been fired. So, you know. Bill Belichick's I, been fired. Yeah. I, I, a good friend of mine, and he was right. He said, you'll, you'll be better. You'll be a better. You'll be a better coach. You'll free yourself from things that you've been locked in on, some things that maybe you weren't afraid to, you were afraid to try on and you've loosened yourself up. And now I'm thinking about, I should have been doing more three on three with my guys in the off season. I should have been doing more decision-making in workouts, letting them figure it out, not always structuring, you know, things to a T, empowering them to make, to use their head when they skill develop because it transfers better on the court. And that's stuff that I'm working on now in terms of player development. And I'm, I'm so excited about it. And I don't know if that would have come about if I was still, you know, at Fairfield. I, I legitimately mean that. And so I've, I'm, I'm a better coach today and, and a lot more confident after getting through the whole emotional firing part of it all. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. How, how has that been? What's that like? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, first, uh, not about, you know, it's not woe is me, Doug, just from a standpoint of like, I, uh, I, I let two guys go from my staff some years ago. You know what I mean? So I, I've kind of been on both sides of it. And I just want to be, you know, transparent that um, it, it's part of the business and, and, and you deal with it. For me, I have a great wife super supportive, but yeah, I was depressed, you know, uh, first week I slept till, uh, noon, you know, every day, not cause I was tired, but because I was down, I had migraines almost the whole year of my last season at Fairfield. And my wife helped me understand that there's a certain way that you want things to be. And there's a certain way that they are. I knew I had good young talent, but I knew that we probably weren't going to get enough wins to be at 1820 to guarantee another year or two. Again, new, new boss, new president, new arena. And that, that anxiety, so that wore on me. So there, there are things that you deal with if you care, if you give a damn about your results and what you're doing and what the future looks like that, you know, there's some physical toll that it, it took on me. And like I said, I, I've, I've been on the other side where I let some guys go. You know, other people have been let go. I'm not the only one who had to deal with it. I will say this, though. Um, there are also people that surprised me. Uh, King Rice from Monmouth, he called me almost as soon as the news came out. And he was, if you know King, you know, King can go and he's, he's got emotion. And he was like, this is terrible and they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, some colorful language. And I was like, King, I'll just I'll never forget the call. And that's that's what I'll tell you is there were other guys that I might not have known as well, but maybe I competed against who lost their jobs and I didn't reach out. I learned from that. Tom Moore is assistant at UConn. I coach against him at Quinnipiac. He did outstanding job there and they just kind of pulled it out from him. He hit me up, Doug, like when I was let go and I was like, damn, man, like like th- there is there is a fraternity. Coaches lament about that because we've gotten away from that a little bit. But there were guys that impressed me beyond uh, my family and friends and professors. I was really active at Fairfield, very, very active uh, on the campus. And a ton of them reached out to me. So it that that helped with that healing. And then once you heal again, you, you get better as a coach because you reflect. Um, so this is now it's been a year, right? It's been over a year, year and a yeah, half. Over, yeah. Um, or have you processed all of it? Does it still, you know, does it still? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I use it. You know, I was at the Air Force Academy. Uh, this past season as Joe Scott's associate head. And I was ready for that moment because I had taken my time after Fairfield. I had done some TV. Um, 
but I had gotten into a lot of other people's gyms. I was looking a lot at G League and NBA stuff. You know, I was like back back at the lab. Like sometimes you get entrenched with what you're doing. And that's what I was saying before, where you, you, I was kind of freed up from what I was doing. And I could pick my head up and look around just a little bit more and do a deeper dive into what other people were doing. And I still like what I was doing, <laughs> you know, after looking at that. But I picked up some stuff and that informed me at Air Force is what I'm trying to say. So I, I got better and I could apply that. I could connect with kids different. I gave Joe some different ideas. Joe's um, been fired. I mean, Joe, Joe's been fired, right? I mean, he, he lost his dream. Jack. Exactly. I mean, he was. He always wanted to be at Princeton. He was at, it, it, it didn't happen at Princeton. And then he went back to, he obviously went back to Denver. Now he's back at the, at the Academy. Right. Um, right. So, I mean, like that's a, it's perfect. And I'll tell you what you talk about freeing your mind. Like I'll give you the basketball analogy to that. So I got done playing in, in college. I went and played overseas. I did, you know, the USBL. Then I was, uh, I, anyway, I played in Russia. Mm -hmm. And then I played in Israel the second year and played in the ABA, played in Lakers Summer League. And then uh, I got a chance to call games for a year for ESPN. Right. And that was TJ Ford's last year at Texas. Okay. And they went to the Final Four. And I remember distinctly, like, it was so much, it was the perfect time in basketball for me to not play that season. Because, like, I just, I just figured it out watching – frankly, watching TJ Ford, honestly, and, and how <laughs> I, I just wished I would have had like an open conversation with coach Sutton, right. Where I, cause TJ, I don't, I think he took one, three, the whole season, maybe yeah, not yeah. even that. Right. And it was still a lottery. It was still a lottery pick. Impact the game. And, you know, like uh, just, I, I, I was, I'm fighting myself and my shot and I'm fighting my coach and, right. you know, my teammates like knew I had to shoot in order to open things up. But my right. coach, you know, would just was just couldn't handle the, any negative results. And it just like it just became a thing. Right. When yeah. I, I watched yeah. him and I was like, look, dude, just take the shots that you can make in, and it. and shoot and just oh, just find the shots that you can make. And I went back and played in France uh, that year. And it was it was the best. I played for a, <laughs> a young African coach and I just had an open conversation with him. I was just like, hey, dude, just tell me what you want to do and when you want to do it. And if I don't right. do it, take me out. And if I right. do it and, you know, like, you got to just trust me. Like I've been doing this a long time and it was like an incredible experience, but it was because frankly, I, I watched and I was in, I watched all these other practice and I, I watched, you know, every team in the big 12 that year. And I called, you know, like 30 games and saw like 60 right. teams or whatever. So that yeah. really, really, really helped. Okay. So what's the process like for you now? What, what now? So a great question. I mean, you, you're always a teacher and you're always a coach. And so for me, it's, it's this, I, I've lost zero confidence in terms of leading a college team or a pro team, you know, a, a G league opportunity. And that's whether it's a head coach, associate coach. So I am, I am open and we'll always leave the door open for those opportunities. Uh, Doug, I've done some broadcasting. I'll do some of that this year. And there's some overlap there. You're not as hands-on with players, but you're breaking the game down. You're trying to figure it out. It's X's and O's. You're explaining that to players. Now you're explaining that to uh, spectators, you know, a viewing, viewing audience. So I think there's some similarities 
but uh, I touched upon it before is I'm really driven at the same time with those things. I'm really driven with how we're delivering the game, how we're teaching it. And I just think that in the States, we have the best players in the world, but we no longer have a monopoly on producing the best and producing decision makers, playmakers, positionless basketball. We, we, we don't have the monopoly on that because we're not allowing them to think while they're being trained. Our skill sets and our physicality are, are off the charts. Yeah. But when we apply it, um, it it's, it's kind of robotic. And, and, and countries have caught up with us. So I, well, I why really... Think, I, there's, I, this is a question. I feel like when people state that, that there's a lot of people, USA basketball, for example, get really defensive. They get really defensive. And like, look, we're still winning. All we're winning at the youth levels. We're winning at the Olympic levels. It's like, we got to just have be honest with ourselves and just say, hey, look, we have, we, we were 100 yards ahead of everybody. And we're still always going to be ahead because of the diversity of, of, you know, of uh, ethnicities, which I think produces, you know, better talent, right? It's not just about having black kids. It's about having, we have an incredibly diverse base and we got 350 million people, right? right? So you have all races, you have races mixing together and you have 350 million people and basketball is, youth basketball is a huge thing where you have smaller countries that we, we, on the scale, they're actually caught up to us and maybe even past us, but we're in denial because we're like, well, we still have LeBron. We still have Anthony Davis. Yes. But it's quite obviously changed. You, why do you think we get so defensive when people like yourself or like me point out that like, Hey, that kind of, kind of caught us in terms of some of the nuances of how it's taught to the, at the youth level. So you and I should have more conversations, whether it's pod or offline, because yeah. you literally took the words out of my mouth. Slovenia has a country of three, three million people and they played. They were in the final four of the Olympics yeah. with the team, with a, a country that has over 350 million, the U.S. The, the gap is close. I, I don't know why I, I respect USA basketball and, and a whole lot of others, but all I know is the NBA now is littered with European and international guys coaching now, not just players, coaching. So you tell me, millions of dollars in the best league in the world and these NBA teams, instead of hiring Doug Gottlieb and Sidney Johnson, that's cool. They're hiring this guy and that guy from Slovenia and Spain, and they, they see it too. And what it is is I think it's the development where we're still training in a way we're, we're not thinking analytically and broadly enough where we're not giving these kids. And I played overseas. Yeah. I know how these kids, they weren't dribbling at cones over and over. They were always playing up. You know what I mean? It wasn't a big deal to be the number one rated 15 year old in, you know, some random town in Italy. They're like, no, we're going to scoop you up and put you in B Bologna and play against some of the best senior guys in the, in the, in the country and bring you along that way. But I, I really think it's the positionalist decision-making aspects of the international style. And also, Doug, they're not stuck on tradition. They're incorporating sports science advances. 
in, in soccer, they call football, um, but how you learn and teach the game, they're open to that in a way that because we created the game and now mm-hmm. I'm, I think I'm getting to the defensiveness because we created it and it was based on X, we're having trouble jumping to Y. But I'm a big fan of soccer. I've been exposed to international game. I'm a teacher. And I think Y and Z are the future of the game. And it's how we're teaching, how our kids are learning, and what we're exposing to them and allowing them to do on their own. I think that's the future of this, this game. It's, it's, uh, it's a, like, we, we, let's, let's plan on a, a further discussion on it. But in the context of this discussion, it's interesting. So I'm coaching my son. He's 12. He's little. Um, and, but he's, he's getting there. And I have a program. And it's a lot of it's trial and error. And right. it's, it's fascinating that, you know, um, in the Southern California AU community, right? First, you know, like everybody's a holdback. Now, I was a holdback. Right. I, I, was, I was one of the first. I, I copied some of the football holdbacks and I was a holdback. I was holdback, I believe, out of necessity, um, not out of necessarily greed. You know, I was five feet mm-hmm. when I graduated eighth grade. And then I was five, nine, entering 15 months later, entering high school. Okay. You know, so that, yeah. that freshman year would have been a complete wash, whereas I yeah. played a little varsity and played JV. And then by my senior year, I would have been a mid-major as opposed to I was a high major, right? So that, that's the way it, it, it worked. But so I'm going to do that with him. Um, but it's interesting in terms of trying to teach, you got to do the, you got to give them the skill, right? But then you got to give them the decision-making. But That's, even that is hard in that when you get into these games, the high-level games, everybody's just pressing, you know, diamond press, man press, whatever, which I do think weeds, weeds some of the kids that aren't going to be able to do it. Like you can either break pressure, play against athleticism, or you can't. On the other hand, like just playing five out, take them basketball. I won't allow it. But right. you'll get you'll get parents that they 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 don't get it. They don't understand. Like, hey, I I have a I have a, I have two really talented seventh graders, really talented. Mm-hmm. And the parents are both bought in. I'm just like, hey, listen, if you come down and do a Russell Westbrook possession where nobody touches the ball and you shoot it, okay, <laughs> whether you're successful or not successful, the next time down the court when you pass the ball, that guy automatically is thinking, shit, I better shoot it because I ain't getting it back. And then the next guy does the thing and passes around like a flu. Like, we we know how it works. And so I'm trying to convince them that in addition to moving the defense, in addition to being in better position to succeed, just in the idea of being a good teammate, the second time you catch the basketball, now you can attack. And that's that's a hard thing. And then you got to give them the skill set to read all of these different things. There's all the, you can't, you know, because when they, what happens is some of them, they decide what they're going to do before they ever catch the basketball, right? I'm shooting it no matter what. I'm driving right. no matter what. And when I drive, I'm shooting or I drive, I'm passing no matter what. So how you mentioned three on three, and it's hard, obviously, we don't have a court, we don't have video, but if you're going to develop players' decision-making, w- what are some of the steps in the process that you think too many of us miss on? Oh my gosh. Well, I would say three on three is a fundamental part of it, but, um, and also just allowing, literally allowing players to decide and forcing them to decide. So if we're going to go out and shoot, 
you know, we're going to take, we're not just going to catch and shoot uh, threes over and over. You're going to catch and shoot a three. You're going to catch and shoot, go left, go right. And oh, by the way, step back, pump fake, but you're going to decide all those and we're going to keep track of your makes. And you're going to do it at a high intensity level. I mean, we're going at it. And then you're going to sprint down and you're going to go right into a pull-up. And we're going to variate all of these different types of shots because that's what the date game demands. You need time. All right. But we're using time to watch video and lift weights and all that. But we're not taking the time to vary how we develop our skill set. Um, that's, that's one. Um, okay, so wait, wait, let me let me let me go further with that because it's interesting. So again, I'm just gonna use my son yeah. as a he's little, he can shoot, but to me, he's got to be a great shooter, great, you know, like that. The basketball demands great shooting. Now, I understand that you got to be able to shoot moving, you got to be able to make decisions, but I do think the fundamental basis of it is you got to be able to catch it, lace it, shoot. And granted, it's at a younger age; there's a volume to it. Right. So the process I work with them on is I try and simplify things, which is, okay, we're going to shoot 10 catch and shoots. Okay. Then we're going to shoot 10, you know, catch sidestep up and shoot. And then he gets one counter to that move because what I found, and again, this is more at a youth level is they're so concerned about their bag. Right. I mean, I got that in my bag right. and I cross right. that dude up like dude, catch and shoot. Okay. If not, you get into a move. And if, so, and if somebody's on that move, you get into your counter. And if not, move the ball. Uh, Doug, let me, let me, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to yeah. jump in because this is really critical. And I, and I hope that this, <laughs> I hope you can hold on to this. Yeah. In terms of sports science and pedagogy, like how people best learn. Okay. Um, your son is going to best transfer skills to the game if he learns them in the same setting that a game demands. So I'm with you on 10 in a row to get that smooth out and then 10 pull-ups, but that, that never presents itself in the game. So his ability to transfer the skill set that you're working on, it's not best transferred to the game the way that you're delivering it. So, so what's, you, what, what is it just in the drive? Just in the, so to vary it. So to do, you want to vary it, do one, do the other, do the other, or do you call it out when they catch it? Is that a better way of doing? Well, I would say the first, like, let, let give him, you can give him some constraints. So give him four or five different shots and say, all right, you, and you got to take 10 of those four or five different shots each, but you son, you decide the order, you decide the rhythm. Don't ever shoot the same one. Um, back to back in a row. And that level of skill building will transfer best to the game. And that's been proven. There's like, that's not like a basketball thing. That is a proven way of learning. I love and it. so you'll be equipping him best for getting all those shots off and making them in a game. That, that by the way, that, 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 you word, fail to that, do that. That, that word, by the way, is the perfect word, right? Because I believe that's that's the coach's true job, right? Is I got to equip you with the weaponry. It's That's just it. like as a parent, right? I got to equip you with the weaponry to deal with the world. The rest is kind of up to you, you know? Okay. And it's the same thing with, a, I got to teach you how to break a press. I got to teach you how to break pressure. I got to teach you how, you know, how to read when you're driving in. But then the rest is kind of up to you. Um, why three on three? I love, by the way, 
three on three on three, amazing, right? Yeah. Amazing because it yeah. can incorporate all the levels of three on three plus the ability to break pressure. Plus, it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of constant chaos. It's 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 one of my favorite things that um, uh, that that we like to do. But why three on three for you? Why is that so important? So now we take your son and we've done that skill skill development, but now we put him along with two other guys or girls and they're playing against another group of three. And now they've got to make all these decision make, making, uh, or they have all these decision making opportunities that Doug are infinitely more than they'll have in five on five. So it's the ultimate skill development tool. And I'm talking FIBA three on three. Okay, where there's like not there's not stoppages of play. It's like continuous. If if I'm playing against you and I miss, you're getting it off the board. You're outletting it, clearing it, and all that stuff. So you increase the number of opportunities. It's actually been proven cardiovascular, like a workout wise. It's more of a workout than five on five. Wow. And then it's better than doing one on one or one on zero because you and I know the true game is a team game. So it's done in concert with other players. So it's like the, per and it's less wear and tear than five on five up and down over and over a, not an AAU is great in high school and all that, but you can play three or four, you can play five AAU games in, in a weekend and not get as good of a workout in the skill development that I'm talking about and three on three. So these types of things I'm working on in terms of what I call, and other people have, have, have used a word like playmakers. There's a couple of books written on it and stuff like that. But uh, it's, a, it's a perfect complement to the skill development approach uh, that I've been uh, working on. You, you mentioned that your dad taught African-American history. Yeah. Um, you're like, I, you've always struck me as like, if he wasn't doing this, he'd be a professor. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, I just because you're you you incredibly knowledgeable, but also you you have a way of of controlling a room and making you kind of even with what you're talking about with three on three of, of intriguing and and firing like my brain, which is it's the whole thing of of you know anybody's taking a class, you're either engaged, you're not engaged. The yeah, information no, is generally that. generally the same. Okay, but yeah. so you've seen. A lot of uh, kind of the social justice movement, and a lot of the discussions over um, athletics and how we handle black athletes, as opposed to how we handle the white athlete. Yeah. There's, there's renewed discussions about race. I, I will just tell you that you know, and this is a weird thing, maybe for some people outside of basketball, outside of sport, race has been a you know, it's always a thing, and guys mess with each other about it, whatever. But it yeah. was. I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up where I am in California. It's kind of, uh, you know, fairly homogenous. Um, or maybe it's just my dad's outlook on life where, you know, there wasn't any thought of, of anything racial wasn't accepted and it's never been a part. And I've had black friends, white friends, mixed friends, whatever. Um, but as somebody who really truly understands, truly understands the history of everything, and how it has placed us in this spot. Um, what do you think? How do you think we should be talking about these topics, handling these things within the context of, of sports specifically? Yeah. Well, we, one, just having 
you know, it seems really like hokey, but just like having the open, honest conversations from a perspective, uh, from a black perspective, just just to be real. I'm not sure that that has always been well represented in how we talk about those. And when I say we, I mean, just like, you know, players being able to speak their minds and saying, hey, I feel like I'm just a player to you where I have these other ideas and I have these other goals in life. And if I don't play well, um, those are those aren't validated. And I'm just a, a guy who went one for 10 from the field tonight and how they can feel like that's a reflection on their blackness as much as anything else. Um, we can debate that or not. But I mean, even just hearing that and trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean? I think, I think that's new to this space. Do, don't you, do you think, and this, this would just be to me, is, isn't that kind of un, a universal thing? Like, is that specific to the black athlete? Like, if I play terrible, I, I, you know, people think You're I couldn't hear. play, right? Is it, because I, I almost feel like that's, you know, true equality is we don't just pump up the black athlete and, and, and paint him as more than an athlete. If he's brilliant, he's brilliant. If he's not, he's not, but it's also the fair treatment of everybody. Right. Yeah. It's like so he, that's excellent. So you're, you're spot on. And what I would say is, but the context that you, you um, started the conversation is, is history and history does play a, a role in all this. And what I would say is black people for years and years and years have had to, um, they've been represented in ways that they didn't own, you know? So, you know, just how they were depicted and described, we haven't always owned that. And so I think you have to, you have to be open to saying, okay, well now black people want to, they want to own the, the way that they're being described and depicted. And so Doug, I don't know if white folks have had to deal with, the fact that sometimes they were represented in a way that they weren't comfortable with. So it's not, it's not, it's not apples and apples. Okay. So, so so this this is great. Like, let's, let's just, let's just, let's just have that. Let's here's the uncomfortableness of the discussion. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'll never forget. I walk into a gym in downtown Hartford. Okay. Okay. Uh, There's a, was it the boys club, boys and girls club Uh, the Hartford YMCA, which I don't know if it's even there anymore. And I remember, I'll never forget that I was there and I couldn't get in a game. Like I'm like 28, I played professionally, right? I led the country in assists. Like, it, and I couldn't like get in the game. And then when I do get in the game, I get the ball. What do you think everybody else? Shooter, right? <laughs> and so here would be, here would be my, my, I do, I understand that the historic context and obviously it's wrong. But the historic context was that there was an intellectual capability of the white player that the black player didn't have, but there's an athletic capability of the black player that the white player didn't have, right? And right. Um, yep. Yep. and so if it. I'm in the gym, you know, or if I'm good, I'm a gym rat and I have to be a shooter. Like, actually, I was a very good athlete who couldn't shoot a lick, right? And I have black teammates that were brilliant. I have black teammates that were not brilliant. I have white teammates. You know, I had a... I had a teammate at Oklahoma State who transferred to William Mary. He had a very good career. He's my roommate. His name Mike Johnson. 
And his last practice at Oklahoma State, Eddie Sutton said, Mike, you're the dumbest smart kid we ever had, right? And it was because he was a four-point student and right. he couldn't remember secondary break. He just couldn't. <laughs> it didn't matter. It, he could. It didn't matter how many times we went over it, right? Where you had, like my boy Joe Atkins, who, like Joe is just a survivor in school, but that dude, can he can recall every player, every tendency, every set. We ever ran. He's from Oklahoma City. He's, you know, like he's, but he's the real deal in terms of like a basketball savant. Savant. Right. Um, anyway, uh, but that's the realness. I, I would, I would push back against you only in that. Yes, white players have like in basketball specifically. There's a tremendous amount of negative stereotyping towards white players. Some earned, right? Some earned. Um, but so I do know what that label's like but I also don't know what that label's like in terms of your intellectual capabilities being questioned, which is patently false, provably false and completely unfair. So that part, you know, strikes at the, the heart of who you are as a human being. And again, it, it's, it's, you can't, you can't talk about these in isolation and I'm going to push back. And I hope that this is no, it's good. Keeping us like, like I'm going to appreciate this conversation. You're a white guy who couldn't get into a game in a basket, you know, into a basketball game. Yep. But there is a black kid who is worried about getting, because of his blackness is worried about getting pulled over by a cop or a black man who's in his forties who can't get a, a, a bank loan or so it's like there there's levels of this and I'm not trivializing your experience. I'm being, right. but I'm like, this is it's hard to, for that black kid who's thinking about how he's viewed as a black basketball player. Doug, when he walks out of the gym, he's also now has to deal with how he's viewed as a black man in this world. And, and there's no longer a time to compartmentalize those things. And I think that that's what's been happening to this modern age is like I walked in and I had great teammates and they were almost all white at Princeton. OK. And when I walked in the gym, I was a Princeton Tiger and real. And, and those are my guys. But when I walked out, I was a black dude on campus at Princeton. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's not an experience that they had. Now, maybe a, a Jewish kid might have or something like that. I'm not sure. But they didn't have that where they had to. They turned into something else when they walked out of the gym. And these are the things that are, are now being talked about in our sports space that I think validates these types of conversations. So it, so tell me, and tell me if I'm hearing you right. It's like, look, sports hasn't really been about that for a good amount of time. I think it's been, you know, it's more meritocracy than anything mm -hmm. else, but you're bringing in the baggage of the rest of your life. Or maybe not baggage, you're bringing in, right. Reality, and, and, the reality yeah, yeah. of the rest of your life. Well, I, I think I think so. I don't know. Like, I don't the reality in my reality. Yes. Not your reality, which is which is cool. And we're sharing our realities, right. which, which ultimately makes us more human. Like real talk. But when we don't share those realities, we're like, we can't quite can't quite appreciate. Are it in your opinion? Like this year, obviously, the amount of diverse hires is at an all time high. Yeah. Right. Um, but having experienced it is, do you believe there's still a something holding administrators back from hiring more black head coaches? Like in, in football, 
You know, the, the numbers are still exceptionally low. What do you think holds those numbers back? I think it's money. I mean, I, I you know, to be honest, there's there's a bottom line, right? You got to keep you got to keep certain people happy at the highest levels. So and boosters. I, I think so. I really do. I really do. I mean, I, I think that um, let, let's let's be honest, the football coach at certain schools, the basketball coach at other schools, they are one of the major faces of the university. I mean, that's I mean, that's not a profound statement. Highest paid members of, a, of a, the most state institutions or even right. private institutions. And so if those boosters and, and it's influenced potentially by a racial perspective, but it's not the only thing. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that if a booster does not feel like they relate to or see themselves in or want to back, you know, Whoever, those then, then, then that whoever ain't getting hired. I mean that that's just the reality of it. Um, it's 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 not good. It's not cool. Um, I have an issue with it, but those are facts. I mean I you know and then and then you have an athletic director or president with the the, the courage and the wisdom. I'm I'm, I'm reading again. Uh, you know I, I came as a shadow. You know uh, John. John Thompson Jr. is a, a literal hero of mine. And, and they had the courage to hire this black man in 1972 to take the university and their basketball program to another level. But it was intentionally to say, hey, we want to have black students here. We want to have a black presence here at a university that was you know, predominantly white. We want to change that narrative and that reality. That was intentional. That's in, it's so interesting. I remember when I was watching in the eighties and Georgetown was at its, its peak. And I remember my dad telling me like, you know, Georgetown's like an all white school. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you, there's no way that anybody who watched them play thought that. And Not it's really, it's, it's one of those, it's like the power of sport, right? It's like what you want right. to, the, the power of sport. And again, some of it's fake, right? Some universities just do it. You know, so they go, hey, look, we got diversity. Look at our basketball. They have a bottom line too. Yeah. yeah right. right. There, there, there is. On the other hand, it does, you know, open your eyes to universities. It does change. I mean, like, look, the, the Fab Five is a fascinating like, case oh, study. Those right? are my dudes right there. Those are my dudes. Right? My, I mean, my oldest son is named Jalen. So those are, those are my guys. Right. So they were, they were like cultural icons. Yes. Literally. Yep. I I do think that the, and I understand that there's a dynamic there with the Ed Martin thing. I think that ended up really hurting their legacy because it fed into the, Hey, you know, black players, they, they only want to go somewhere where they take money, whatever. When I, I don't think that was truly what it was. I'd like to believe it's not truly what it was about. You know, yeah. that was kind of how he was a guy who took care of the kids in the city of Detroit. So they so. didn't have to sell drugs. They didn't have to. All they could do is hoop. Right. Right. But I do think that there's always going to be a negative perception on that team because they were clearly cheating. But it was like that was that changed culture. <laughs> I mean, w- w- without a doubt. I mean, those guys were- how we look at shorts, how many kids are named Jalen. Right. Yeah. Playing yeah. freshmen all together. Yeah. Playing Remember with like, the, uh, swag. Remember the Harachis? They came yeah. out, they were wearing the, the Harachis. And they wore the Harachis. But when I remember yeah. them, they're the best shoes that you ever made. 
Yeah, it was um, it was unbelievable. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tie something to what we were talking about earlier. So those guys made millions of dollars for somebody, and that was that was there was a lot of blackness in that like in that in that moment in that culture. And Doug, they didn't really get to benefit or profit from that financially. See, I would disagree. Jalen Rose still benefits and profits off it, right? Like he was a good NBA player. That dude is, he's just, he's just smart or he's used it. I, I think, and I understand what you're saying, like in the yeah. moment, right? In, in the, the in moment. moment. That's what it, yeah. That's in, what in the is. moment. Okay? Yes. But I, I always thought the idea, and this is, this is the romantic in me. I always thought the idea of college was everything you do here is going to benefit you the rest of your life. Right. And so Johnny Manziel was similarly a cultural icon in the moment. And he tried to benefit it up in the moment. Now, the truth <laughs> is, now he's out of football but he's still always going to get like, he can work on TV tomorrow. Why? Because he was Johnny football. Right. And the fab five guys, like, look, I think Chris Weber was an amazing player. I I think if he was now as a, as a, as a five, can you imagine him people spacing around him as as athletic as he was spacing around him? Like he played the four now as the five, like he'd be incredible, simply unguardable. Um, But like, you know, he, he's going to get opportunity after opportunity because he was Chris Weber fab five. You're right. You're right. But all right. And this is the history major in me. Yeah. There's a history. There's a history in this country of black people not owning what's theirs from the moment that it's theirs. And so it's, it's, again, it's context. It's that they, they were not allowed. And now, White kids at that time weren't allowed to profit right. as well. I'm hearing you. But what I'm just telling you is there's a context and it's hard for black people to look at that and go, oh, well, I'm going to forget those times, all these other times that I haven't been able to profit because everybody else isn't profiting. Oh, oh OK. But that's been what we've been dealing with for quite some time. And I think that time is, is uh, escaping us now. Okay, so here's, here's the question. Does the name, image, and likeness, does it help or hurt well, the, it, the college I, I, I fundamentally agree with you that college should be college. I actually do. I, I think, um, you know, that, that shouldn't shock anyone as, a, as an Ivy League grad. You know, I, I believe that college should be about college and it shouldn't be about profiting. But I didn't set the t- I didn't tell CBS and ESPN and all these others to pay X amount of dollars to broadcast games. I didn't tell Nike and, and pick whoever to give all these coaches this money to endorse their teams or, or, or their, their own likeness. I didn't tell the NCAA to tell guys like me and you and all kinds of other athletes to, to give up their rights to their own name and image and likeness just to play college sports. You know, I didn't set all these terms. So now that we have all this money around and all this, I would just say, for me, it's changed what college is about. And I'm not okay with that. I think that college should be fundamentally about education. But because we've allowed all these financial entities or influences to impact the game, now I think you can't put it back. So now you have to allow the, the guys and gals who are doing the heavy lifting 
to at least own their own name, image, and likeness. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I would I, I, I do believe, though, the, the two things that we that are forever undervalued in this are getting into college. Right. Indeed. Like Indeed. Uh, it's un, as you pointed out, it's, uh, it, most of these college, uh, college campuses still are pro- predominantly white. They, they just are. Indeed. Right? They're still yeah. predominantly white. And, yep. and not at a ratio that is like society, right? Like in society, what is it? You know, 60% white and 13% black and Hispanic. Right. Like, no, no, no. You're right. talking it's like, nothing like that. You're high right. 80s to 90% yeah, white. No, you're or, right. You know, so at, at like big 10 schools, SEC schools. Now, obviously, West Coast, you have more diversity. Each coast you have, you know, you have, we're not factoring in Asians, Hispanics, or whatever. Yep. Um, so I, I do think that there's a value in that. I also think there's a value in the brand of the school that you play for that we, you know, that's why the NCAA tournament is so valuable is the bracket yeah. and the brands. And there's a direct correlation, no matter who's playing for them, when Kansas is on TV, people watch. Michigan's on TV, people watch. Syracuse is on TV, people watch. Regardless of it. And they learn about these athletes. And that's how we build up their own brand. And I think, again, we're putting a little cart ahead of horse. I agree with you that the, uh, in understanding, you know, profiting in the now and, and that how much money is out there, I, I just, I feel like we skipped a step or a possible solution, you know, whether it was setting money aside for when kids were done, you know, uh, some sort, you know, a, a fund for when they're done. We, we they kind of already had it like Carolina with the barnstorming tours in Kentucky, Right. Um, but, I, you know, I'll point out, 
I do this all the time with media people. They're like, what'd you make? I asked them, what'd you make your first job? You know, my first job in radio, I made like four times what anybody should reasonably make. Why? Because I play basketball at Oklahoma State. That's it. You know, <laughs> that people knew my name. Yeah, so yeah. I, I do think you can benefit, but you have to know how to benefit that. You have to have a skill set to be able to relate to people. And that's, that's the hard part to it is how do you, how do you give colleges at least some sort of credit for getting more kids in, which is really the idea of the whole thing put more kids in this environment where they can meet people that'll help them the rest of their lives. And then two, how do we make it so that it's not just, not just playing for profit, you're playing for your team, your school, your, and, and, and those guys that you, you, you practice with every day. Well, one thing I would, I would submit though, is I want to give these colleges credit for getting these guys and gals in, but also getting them out. Okay. Because the graduation rates, like, like the, Universe, the, the student has to have an issue with that and have the drive to want to graduate, but the university has to match that commitment. You know what I mean? And like, like so the proudest moment in, in our family, one of the proudest moments in our family, my brother, Stephen, he left school early. He played with Jason Kidd, Lamont Murray, and all those guys, and he left early and pursued a, a, a pro career. When he came back to the States and kind of got back on his feet and all this kind of stuff, Cal helped him financially in terms of tuition to finish his education. And I, I thought that that was amazing. I think that's a commercial for Cal Berkeley. We don't, why, don't, why don't we talk about that? Why do, I, I why? don't know. I, I, that, that's why I want to talk about it now. And I, I, I wish a, a lot of us, if you're an educator, if you care, if you're a good person, you want to push stories like that and you want to have that be some of the outcome. That, that means, Cal, to me, that's, college being about college. Yeah. That, that's, and, like and by that. the way, that's, that's what Harvard has for all their students, right? Where you know, always do like, he's a Harvard dropout. Like, yeah, because Harvard has a different setup to where you can always come back. Yeah. You know? yeah. And Sharif Abdurrahim did the same thing at Cal, right? That's he left it. after his first year. And then yeah. while he was in the league, he took classes and he graduated. I think he even has a master's degree from Cal. Like he's a brilliant, brilliant. My brother dude. does too. Yeah. They're all in. They are yeah. all in. But, but so. we don't. And, and I, and I think that's the way it should be. And, and, um, it's a very important part of kind of the college sports legacy that we don't champion enough. Did you know you can go back now and actually be on the staff? Well, and, and I raised that. Yeah, I raised that, Doug, to say that colleges on some level, athletic programs, they have devalued the getting in part that you and I appreciate yes. because they haven't matched the commitment with, with getting them in to also getting them out. So they, that's my point. Athletics, like programs, ADs, professors, whoever is responsible, you need to match not only getting them in, make sure you get them out. Then you and I can really kind of beat the drum about how great a value that is. But if they're just getting in and doing a year and a half and then never getting that paper, yeah. I mean, really what and, – and, and more importantly, the full experience in education – then it really isn't that much of a yeah, value. No, no, it's, it, it's true. All right. Last thing. Um, and then we're going to do another one at some point in the very near future. Great. Right. Um, there is a, I believe a push and I've heard you talk about G league and um, you know, you've, you've done the, done the college thing. There seems to be a sense that people are wanting to get out of the college game and get solely into the pro game. You know, man, you don't want to do that college thing. 
<laughs> you've 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 done you've done you've done the college thing. You've been this. You played. Been assistant. You've been a head coach at alma mater. Been a head coach at Fairfield. You've been you know assistant coach several times over. Um, do is that a real thing that there's a kind of a a quiet maybe underground movement to move from the college game to the pro game? There's absolutely. Uh, I don't endorse it. And I think if you're interested in the G League and the NBA, as I am learning from those guys, watching from those guys, using that stuff, being open to an opportunity, I don't think it means that you're you're down on the college game, but you're 100% on the right track. And I think it's because, and and somebody who's been in this in this landscape in this space for many years said this to me. I, I won't put his name on it, but he said, Sydney, basically. The job that we have now is not the job that we signed up for 10 years ago. So and what is the, what, what is the job now? What, what job, is, you're a head coach. What is the job now that's different from the job 10, 15 years ago? The job now is recruiting your, your roster. Uh, maybe I was going to say year, year after year, but maybe yeah. like every three, like every quarter, like every three months, right. literally like making sure, you know, it's player retention. And it, it, it's like, lit, like that's the job where it used to be opportunities, like you said, education, development, and there's, there's development in there and guys will still talk about it, but it's well, player retention. Right. I mean, but, but that, how do you, it's so hard, right? I mean, listen, if you bring a kid off the bench, you know, you bring a kid off the bench as a freshman, you, you stand the right to lose him at the end of the year. Yeah. And then if you play a kid oh, as there's a freshman, no, there's no question. you play a kid as a freshman, he could be, hey, I'm above, I'm better than this level. I'm going to transfer up, right? You, yeah. It's hard to build culture when, you can't, it can't build culture when guys are nine months on a, on a campus. But the same people, here's the problem I found. The same people that are pushing, for the most part, for kids to be compensated are the same ones that are pushing for kids to have the ability to leave whenever they want. And th- yeah. that's, that, that's a hard one to explain to somebody like you, who's actually been in the business and experienced it. So how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you, how do you, how do you handle, if you're the czar, you're in charge, how do you handle that? Coaching is really hard because kids don't want to be told no. And if they're told no, they're out, they move. Well, I, I still think it, it is. I mean, you, you got to let players decide. You got to let families decide if, the, if, if there are coaches or influences. I mean, you, you can't take that decision. You know, I, I want to give them decision making on the court and in workouts, but not with their own lives. I, I'm not saying that. So you got to let them you got to let them decide. But I do think. You know, I, I think the transfer without sitting out a year, I mean, that that's a pretty big blow in terms of this this notion of, of player retention. Um, it, it's, it's where we are, but I, I think it's, it's really turned the game upside down, you know, just in terms of, you know, how will, like, like I'll tell you, Doug, I wanted to leave Princeton twice in my career. Who didn't want to leave? Everybody. Wanted, I mean, you that, know. that's what I'm saying. And, and I'll I was, tell you I was right out. now, I'd it would have been the worst out. mistake And you're right. And you, and you, and you did transfer another and, and transfers have worked out now. It would have been me the worst decision, uh, you know, that I could have made. Here's the biggest thing that nobody ever says. Nobody ever says. Okay. I was my junior year at Oklahoma State. I was miserable. I, I, we were leading the country in assists, was averaging a double-double. And then <clears throat> I got a technical in a game. We lost to Florida Atlantic. I had 18 assists, but we lost. 
Damn. And then we come out to UCLA, only game played in California. My brother and sister are UCLA alums. Right, right. And I get thrown out because I got two oh, T's boy. in the first half. Okay. Um, and then I was in the doghouse. And, you know, we were playing terribly. And I was just in a bad place. And we, we land in Las Vegas. I played poorly at, at Creighton where my dad had coached under coach. He was at the game. And I just, I just wanted to leave. I wanted to go. I was going to go to Utah and play for Rick Majerus, which, of course, would have made everything perfect. And, uh, <laughs> and I had a great game. And then I was still in the doghouse for a couple of games, but then it, it worked out. And, you know, while I've been talking to you, I've gotten a text from Joe Atkins, Brian Montanati, Des Mason, I mean, wow. uh, and, uh, um, and Adrian Peterson, so four of my teammates. Wow. That's while really while cool. we're having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And what no one says is like, dude, once you leave, you're out. You're out. Like I have friends. Pat Garrity's a great friend of mine. Phil Hickey's a good friend of mine. I'm still close to Fran McCaffrey, but like they're not inviting me back to Notre Dame to, for an alumni game. Right. You know, and these dual transfers, you have no home. And what people don't understand is like for the rest of your life, a place you spend three years, four years, five years in college. That's your home. That's your basketball family. Those are your closest friends, allies, guys that'll, hey, man, you need a job? Tell me, I'll pick up the phone. I'll call whoever you want, right? right. And when you, right. like these guys that grad transfer, what's their home? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's a, it's, that's a, you know, I've never, li- I literally have never thought about that. Th- just that added piece of, of what was the What guys. was the kid's name who had the eye tattoos on his shoulders who played for you? Curtis Cobb. Curtis, Curtis Cobb. Yeah. Really good player. Really good right? player. Talented, talented player. But he leaves yeah. and where did he transfer to? I'm trying to. He went to UMass for yeah. a year. You know, I guess he sat out and played a year at UMass and then he transferred. And after that, and went to Wagner, finished up at Wagner. Right. So, hey, man, where'd you go to school? Well, you know. <laughs> right, right. And right, right again, yeah. and had he stayed with you, I mean, he might have been the all-time leading scorer at Fairfield. Like that kid, he can score. He really could. He was. He was on. He was tracking. He was gonna. He was gonna. Yeah. He was gonna right. be that. Guy. So, so the would you rather be? Or there was the what was the kid's name Nate uh, Sudfeld? Is that no, no? Nate Sudfeld's quarterback. Nate. Um, God, the kid that went from Bucknell to Kentucky. Sestina. Hi, Sestina. Right. He's having an amazing yep. career at Bucknell. They go into the NCAA tournament, but yeah. and he goes to Kentucky. And early on in the season, he starts, and then eventually they don't start him because, like, he yeah. was a he was a great low major player, or right. mid major player, but that's super elite high major, and they just he he didn't fit, right? I does he he was a great player at Bucknell. He really was. Does he does, is Bucknell home? Is is he part of the Kentucky family? I guess, right? I guess. But it's a weird thing. This isn't a cop-out. I I genuinely mean this. There's been so much change in college basketball. I was on the rules committee some years ago, whether it's rules, whether it's NIL, all these things going around the game. I think for like a couple years, like if there could just be not, not, and then we have COVID, if we could just not have any changes and just, just sit tight, for like a couple of years and see how the dust settles. Because as you're talking and I'm thinking about your, your, your very last question, 
kids are going to need to see the impact of these different transfers and just what you're saying and go, you know what, just what you literally, what you said, maybe the grass isn't greener. Maybe I want to figure, maybe I do want a home. I've seen other people bounce around and they don't have a home. Just, but there's been so many changes in this game. If you can, you and I know we're so close to this game. Think of the amount of change that's happened in three, four, five years. I think we need to let the dust settle, step back, see what the new landscape is and react to that in a more cerebral and less reactive way. Um, it sounds like a cop out, but I actually believe it. No, it, it's actually really, really profound. And I agree with you. It's a lot like in life where sometimes you just need to let things breathe instead of constantly try and fix them. It, you know? There you go. There you go. You know? Better said. Better said. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's just adding on to it. Hey, this, this was amazing. I hope you're well. Um, yeah. I, I want to well. do, do more of it, but I don't want to steal all of your time. No, I appreciate and, that. Yeah. And it was, you're, you're awesome. And uh, let's talk offline and catch up again soon on this pod. God bless, man. Take care. I appreciate the opportunity, Doug. You take care. Thanks, Sid. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. My thanks to Sidney Johnson. That was amazing. Um, I'm watching this Lakers team, and we're, we're realizing, I think, the flaws that we wondered about. Uh, I don't know how badly sore LeBron's ankle is, if they're just managing his minutes. But I do think that you're seeing it's it's still some mis, misaligned parts. I, I do believe that uh, Frank's a very good coach and he can adjust and he'll probably play Russ with the second group. The problem with Russ with the second group means he's playing with Carmelo. Yeah, that's there's there's a lot there, but maybe that's maybe that's the fix. They also don't have as good as first group without him because they don't have Trevor Reza. They, you know, they haven't had uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. I know he's a bench player, but he changes things and. You know, Wayne Ellington's just now coming back. So there's there's a lot to it as they figure it out with the Lakers. But early returns are not good. Chemistry is not great. Shooting is not great. And if we remember last two times Russell was brought in, the team was supposed to get better and got worse. Happened in Houston, happened in D.C. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, that was a good pod. That was like, I love my brains kind of stimulated. I hope yours was as well. I, I remember, listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on your iHeartRadio app, Fox Sports Radio, Sirius XM. I think it's 217-203. I appreciate you listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.